It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. Muckleshoot. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Horse Racing Northwest edition from Emerald Downs, first edition of 2024. Joe Withy, Vince Brune here in the TV room at Emerald Downs. Cy Labar on the production buttons and running another good show. And we are uh, turning the calendar, Vince. We're uh, looking toward the 2024 race meet. It is officially 2024, as you said, Joe. And uh, stall applications have gone out for our May 4th opening, 55 days. The uh, We're going to open for training on February 26th. That's a Monday. We'll start seeing the trailers with the horses pulling in on Friday, February 23rd. As we just discussed, that's six weeks from Monday. Yeah. And uh, that's a good sign that things are getting closer. So, yeah, pretty exciting this time of year to start actually talking about the 55-day season. 55 days at Emerald Downs beginning on Saturday, May 4th. That's our first day of racing. That is also Kentucky Derby Saturday. So that'll be another big opening day. But again, uh, the first milestone, just six weeks from Monday, track opens for training. And uh, just a uh, couple changes in the schedule. We've added a couple Friday nights late in the season to get up to 55 days. Yeah, we have three more days, and we also tweaked uh, the calendar or the post times. The Saturday and Sunday are going to be 1.30, uh, so no 5 o'clock racing, and uh, a half hour earlier on Saturdays and Sundays. Right, Saturdays afternoons now. We did do Saturday afternoons last couple years until a certain point then went to saturday evenings but it'll be all saturday afternoon i think a lot of people are happy about that so day uh kentucky derby day opening day at emerald down saturday may 4th looking forward to that and uh horsemen moving in just next month as far as emerald downs of course we're open for simulcasting seven days a week quick picks is open wednesday through sunday and it's open uh, on Saturday and Sunday, 9 to 6, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Quick picks at the north end of the fifth floor. Some really good stuff coming from there. Good food at Quick Picks, uh, popular place. It's worked out really well. And again, hours 9 to 6 on Saturdays and Sundays. Kentucky Derby Future Wager, uh, not this weekend, but uh, next weekend. January 19th through the 21st, it'll be pool number three. Of course, you can do those wagers right here at Emerald Downs. It's pool number three. Fierceness won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile pretty impressively, Vince. He won by about six lengths, Todd Pletcher training. Yeah, and uh, runner-up, distant runner-up in that race, Muth came back and pretty impressive winner the san vicente and the san vicente his first start of uh 2024 is the triple crown trail uh begins to heat up and use the word good a couple minutes ago you know else is pretty good as five-star general that's right 
he he has won since we last talked on our podcast. Of course, our 2023 Long Acres Mile Hero, first horse in the storied history of the Long Acres Mile to be placed four straight times. And uh, this past year, he moved up to the winner's circle. He did. He won another hundred grander. Uh, 12 to 1 odds down at uh, yeah. fairgrounds. And, uh, you know, uh, we mentioned before, Slew's Tiz Wiz, our horse of the meet, and five-star general have faced each other twice in the mile. Each has finished first and third. So, you know, I'm kind of hoping we get uh, another match here in 2024. And you've mentioned Ken O'Hadoff, the owner of five-star general, Grant Force, the trainer. Very much would like to do that if, you know, that's we're talking way out and, you know, things can change, but it's on the radar. And, you know, for Slew's Tizwiz, of course, uh, Washington bred, it's certainly on the radar here. And uh, that would be a, that would be a great, uh, a great uh, uh, showdown again. And of course, there'll be other contenders as we go along too, but uh, fun to see storylines developing. You bet. It's something to look forward to. Five-star general now, eight years of age. Boy, not slowing down at all. Had a tremendous seven-year-old season. So uh, he'll be in the Midwest and the Mid-South. Uh, Sluice Tiz Wiz, our defending Washington Horse of the Year, winner of the 2022 Long Acres Mile. Uh, he is wintering up on Whidbey Island in the Oak Harbor area once again for trainer Tom Wenzel and that uh, ownership syndicate who did take over for Darlene Craig, the uh, widow of uh, Carl Craig, who bred Slew's Tiz Wiz and campaigned him so well. Slew's Crew is the new group. Yeah. yeah. With Roy Brewer, Mary and Terry, Mary Lou and Terry Griffin, and Tom, Tom and Melissa Wenzel. That's and, right. And what's the name of the gal who trains or kind of looks after the horse up on Woodby Island? She's part owner too. Oh, okay. I, you know yeah. what? Her, darn it, her name escapes me right now. I didn't do my research, Joe. I yeah. should have done that. But okay. uh, but they got a fine horse. You bet. In fact, uh, Sluice Tiz Wiz is a candidate for Washington Bread Honors again for 2023. The banquet to honor all participants, equine and human, is Saturday, February 24th. The WTBOA Banquet, the Gala Banquet at Emerald Downs, Saturday, February 24th. Cocktail hour begins around 5 p.m. And it'll be another great night honoring Washington bred competitors and some human awards as well throughout the course of the evening. You can get tickets by calling the WTBOA at 253-288-7878, WTBOA Banquet, Saturday, February 24th. And uh, contenders there, yeah, Sluice Tiz Wiz was a double stakes winner at Emerald Downs again this past year. As you mentioned, third in the mile to five-star general. The leading Washington bred earner was Zabra Cadabra, who began his career here in uh, 2018 as a two-year-old and he is a now seven-year-old son of harbor the gold he had three wins and two seconds back east running at laurel and delaware seven starts three wins two seconds hundred and sixty thousand one hundred and fifty dollars he wasn't a stakes winner but he led all washington breads in earnings 
Zabracadabra ran here again at age two. I think he might have started here at age three as well. But he's been back east for a couple of years. He had a really big year in 2022 as well. Second to him was another son of Harbor the Gold, and that is My Harbor's Dream, who ran uh, either the 30th or the 31st of December at Aqueduct. He was favored off a claim. Finished third, but he had 136,000 plus uh, starting his 2023 campaign down in Southern Cal. He was claimed on at closing day at Santa Anita back in the early spring and went back east and did well. Four total wins. So a couple sons of Harbor, the gold, one, two, and earnings among Washington bred horses for 2023. Bodenheimer, that uh, horse of the year at age two in 2020. Uh, he was third. He started off last year with four consecutive turf sprint victories. Bodenheimer by Attaboy Roy. Asina is next, followed by Sluice Tiz Wiz at fifth, and so on. The leading Washington-bred horse with victories was a horse by the name of Holy Jazz, who ran in every month of the year, January through December. 20 starts last year, five wins, three seconds, five thirds. Holy Jazz. The most wins among any Washington-bred thoroughbred. Five victories in 2023. And I got that Sluice Tiz Wiz you mentioned, owned by Roy and Tammy Brewer, Tom and Melissa Wenzel, Terry and Mary Lou Griffin, and Jody Snyder of Oak Harbor. Jody Snyder, yeah, that does a super job up there. Uh, she's had the care of Sluice Tiz Wiz of winters and, and helped with some early training up there as well. Yeah, Roy and Tammy Brewer, uh really dedicated owners as well as they've had a fun run following slews tis whiz so the banquet there uh any retired racehorse stories get a hold of me at emerald downs we're going to have more retired racehorse story videos throughout the course of the season this year which we play at the track uh all all weekend long a new one every week and uh, we've done a whole bunch of those uh let's see 2013, 14, and 15, we did them all year long. And then the last three years, we've done them as well. So a lot of great stories out there. A lot of love and care and new careers for thoroughbred racehorses whose life on the track might be over, but certainly uh, not life in general. And uh, love telling those stories. So, hey, our guest today on this Horse Racing Northwest edition, track president Phil Ziegler of Emerald Downs. Uh, First year here was 2015, Vince, and uh, Phil came in with a marketing background, and he's had some great ideas around here that have really worked well. We've had a lot of fun uh, between races on some of those weekends in the last several years. Yeah, and you and I have talked about it uh, amongst ourselves many times, the atmosphere here at Emerald Downs, among the best in the country. That includes... The big league tracks, you know, the ones with the big stake stores and all that. We got some great horses here, but we also put on a great show, and I know we're all very proud of that. You better believe it. Phil, uh, we'll be talking to him on this edition. Also, Jeff Metz, who just uh, burst upon the scene back about 10 years ago at Emerald Downs. He was a, just a great addition. Uh, he did win the title his first three seasons here and added another one in 2018 yeah went from 2013 to 2015 yeah jeff's got a new position down in southern california and yeah, pretty exciting for him we'll be talking to jeff about that that's great okay 
a couple guests uh, we'll do in our final segment. We'll have our sports shorts. Uh, might be a little light on selections this time around. Uh oh, a few people just hung up on us because no, no selections. <laughs> no. And uh, trivia as well. We finally got a, a winning answer in that uh, two week or two session, two podcast long trivia question. So we'll take a time out. We'll come back with track president Phil Ziegler here on Horse Racing Northwest. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Muckleshoot. Horse Racing Northwest from the TV room at Emerald Downs. Go with the Vince Brune and uh, track president Phil Ziegler joins us right here in the TV room. Cy got everything all cleaned up. Phil, uh, just everything's working, plugged in. He's got a little extra jump in his step this week because his uh, beloved Michigan Wolverines had a big evening this past Monday. But uh, welcome, Phil. Yeah, that's not me. Sai, yeah, you're talking about. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Sai. Yeah, I know. Disappointing game, but um, great season for the Huskies. Oh, so yeah. We were all very proud of them and watching. They, they were in that game right until the fourth quarter, right down, you know. You just you just think they're going to do it because they did it all year. Yeah, and so many. It's not this time. Good me, second halves. Meanwhile, though, a guy named Joey Decord, who you kind of predicted was, you kept asking me, is this guy any good? I said, nah, he's, <laughs> he, he can be a fill-in here and there, but he's just not a number one guy. Is, Are we doing know, sports shorts right now? Yeah, okay. well, kind of. We're right? both cracking fans, but okay. no, this yeah. Joey Decord is, he's plays college hockey at Arizona State, not exactly a NCAA powerhouse hockey-wise, and he is just kind of... Uh, I didn't even know. Been they pretty were. exciting right I now. I know. One sport will make a prediction. I think this is inevitable, but he has tried to score a goal in an empty net a couple of times now, and he just missed. He you, hit one off the boards. It went, and it was just wide. He's going to score a goal. You can do that when you're up two. It's, yes. It's usually when you're up one and try to get fancy with that, you can lead to some problems. But yeah. yeah. He's the goalie? Yeah. He's the goalie. Oh. And he's tried to score, huh? In an when empty they, net, When they yes. pull the goal. Why not? In the, yeah. 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 He's well, good. Phil and Vince attended the uh, the outdoor game. The Winter Classic. Yeah, it was great. Safeco Field. It was, a, it was a neat event, yeah. On the first. Yeah, that's great. It was another win for the Kraken, who I hear are doing quite well the last couple of weeks. So, uh, Phil, we're getting ready for another season at Emerald Downs. Your first was 2015. Oh, it's been and, that long. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> came in with a marketing background, and um, you've jumped the step up and got us going here and got a lot of people in the building. And I think you're pretty happy with the way things went in 2022. And yeah. You know, if you really think about it, this is the 10th season coming up now. Nobody anticipated what we would be going through in 2020 and 2021. So certainly that uh, changed the dynamic in a yeah. lot of sports and a lot of businesses and no exception here at Emerald Downs where we found a way. We just found a way to keep it going. So it, it's kind of a weird memory to say that that was um, such a significant part. But I just remember going through that and seeing horse racing with no people here 
in front of an empty grandstand was surreal and depressing in a way. I mean, I was glad we were able to have the meet, but it was certainly great to have the fans back starting in 2021. And then, you know, last year was pretty much normal. Everybody came out here, had a good time, no restrictions and um, no concerns. And it was nice just to get back to that. And ironically, you know, we talk about this all the time. You look at some of these racetracks on TV, it looks like 2020 in perpetual. Yeah. I mean, it's there's nobody at some of these racetracks, especially during the week, and they don't draw a lot of fans. But here at Emerald Downs, we have the best fans in the country. I'm convinced of that. These families and the folks that come out here, our fans are the best. Yeah, and you know, Phil spoke at the racetrack industry program in Tucson this year in an annual event put on uh, by the universe at the University of Arizona. And Phil, you raised that very subject. Yes, and, and you did it very eloquently. I thought I enjoyed it, but it kind of seemed to fall on deaf ears. I know, and you know what? I the reason I say this is because yeah, people come out here for a lot of our promotions, and we do all this fun stuff and. And the fireworks show that been going on here well before I got here. Um, but I remember it was on July 3rd, I believe. And it was like the fifth or sixth race of the day. And the crowd sounded like you were in the middle of the Kentucky Derby. I've never been to Kentucky Derby. I've been to a Belmont Stakes. I've heard, I've been in big situations with crowds and yelling and screaming. And this crowd was yelling and screaming and it was deafening to your ears and it was a $5,000 claiming race. So it doesn't take, it doesn't mean like in Churchill Downs where everybody comes out for one day of the year for the Kentucky Derby. I mean, here we get fans that come out here that just purely love watching these horses run. And uh, my father used to say, have to give him credit on this. It doesn't matter how fast they're running. If you're betting on a race, you just want your horse to finish first, right? And Very there's true. something to that. If there's a close finish and they're coming down the stretch and it's exciting and people start going crazy, there's something very special about that. Yeah. And and Joe, you you and I talk a lot about it. And we talked to horsemen who have been elsewhere in the country, the jockeys like Carlos Montalvo last year, Alexis Valdez. And it, it strikes them immediately on opening day that, wow, are you, you kidding? Know, this is those, pretty neat. Those guys, just to go on Vince's point there. Yeah, Silvio Amador, Luis Negron, Alexis Valdez, Carlos Montalvo, Isaiah Enriquez came back after a few years. Those guys must feel like stars getting coming out to the paddock, getting on their horse. There's people all around the paddock lined up on the the gap to go up signing to the autographs. Track, signing autographs. Yep, I yep. mean, we have people at the track. Phil uh just really can't commend you enough on that. It it's uh those, some of those promotional days when, uh, as you said, we're getting people out that, that are maybe coming out for the promotions, but hey, the horse racing is still the main fair. And it's tough to make new everyday betters. It's tough for everybody in North America to make new everyday horse betters because of the preponderance of casinos and now sports, legal sports betting. So that's big competition for us, but we have a chance to make new players because we get people out here on a fun day with people and it, it there's so many of them at emerald downs throughout the course of the year it's it's a great season yeah and it's not an either or proposition it's it's there's room for everybody at the racetrack we got a big facility here yep. you know? yeah you know and what's interesting about what happens here at emerald downs which is different than the rest of the industry probably is that um you normally focus in on handle 
and how much should people bet? And that's usually indicating what your revenue and how well the track is doing. Well, if you really go back in time and you really want to back up the, uh, go back to maybe early Long Acres days and you opened up newspapers and magazines and Sports Illustrated and even into the 70s where horse racing as a sport was very prominent. Now you don't hear as much about horse racing except on the big days. Well, people come to the racetrack and they're spending money and they're buying you know, food for their kids and they're buying beers and they're having a few drinks and you got groups that come out for parties and they're enjoying the horse racing. They're betting a couple of dollars here and there. It's not kind of the prime um, revenue maker for us. Our prime revenue maker is more the people that are coming and spending this money rather than the betting. So I think we do a great job here of promoting the sport of horse racing, which is a little bit different than the wagering of horse racing. And yeah. I think there's a distinction between those two. Okay. Well, we've had uh, we've had a great history on promotions, really, uh, at this track. But, you know, since you've taken over, a, a little change was made. Um, we had the Wiener Dogs. Kenton Allen of, of KPLZ started that and had a great run with it, did a super job. Uh, but you just saw a niche as to where, and uh, Phil is a dog owner. He's got two dogs again. Mm-hmm. And uh, he likes his small, quick dogs. But <laughs> you took it over from Kenton Allen, and you know we can run this ourselves. Uh, and boy, we have a pretty good machine out there on these promotional days. And we have several days with young, small animals out on the track, meaning the Corgi Day, still, of course, the Wiener Dogs, the Bulldogs, the Wiener Dog Wannabes. Uh, and there's other days, too, when you need the staff out there. But uh, that thing is working really well, well it the, seems. The fun part about this, if you really uh, look at these dog days that we do, and I can't take credit for this because... I'll give credit to our friends at uh, Canterbury Park uh, who did corgis. I think we did wiener dog racing here first. Oh, I think and so. And then they did it after that, and then they did corgis, and then we did corgis. But things kind of changed a few years ago with our corgi races because ESPN had contacted us about taking the corgi races because some of our videos went kind of viral mm-hmm. on the internet. And they said, hey, how about putting together a show with these corgi races? for ESPN, the Ocho, which is a day where they kind of do these offbeat sports like dodgeball. And it came from the movie Dodgeball, if you look up the history of ESPN, the Ocho. So we did this show for ESPN. And there was a day a couple of years ago where it was on ESPN2 and it got a lot of attention. And then they put it on the main network one day. They had a hole in their programming and they put it on and the internet just blew up, right? Now, Corgi Racing had been around for many years. At Cannon Beach, they have a big event every year for Corgis. And I think they have some races there and other uh, county fairs and stuff have little Corgi races. But this was the first time a lot of folks saw Corgi Racing on TV. Well, now it's become its own sport in a way. <laughs> so the number one halftime promotion in the NFL this year was Corgi races. Wow. So the Seahawks saw our Corgi races and they contacted us. Hey, how do you do this? And we gave them some stuff and they put on Corgi races. Well, then when they did it, a few other teams saw it. So the, I know the Buffalo Bills did it this year. The 49ers did it this year. I think the Lions did it this year. I think the Giants did it this year. And three or four, I think the Jaguars did it. A bunch of hockey teams are doing it, college basketball. So Corgi racing is becoming, and if you look on the internet now, 
and they got the cheerleaders lined up and the corgis racing down the field and 40 yards to the end zone and the fans they are saying even on monday night football a couple weeks ago they were mentioning it they showed highlights of the corgi racing during the fourth quarter of the game and they said they had never seen so many fans stay in their seats during halftime than that day wow yeah uh-huh. so that girl from Wisconsin came out a couple of years ago just for the corgi races as a graduation yeah. present. I know. That? Well, we had a dog from the winning dog from Canterbury came out to our races last yeah. year and a dog from Southern California who I think won the corgi race that the 49ers had was in our races last year. So this year we're thinking about, you know, inviting some of these other corgi race winners around the country and making this some big championship. It's taking on a life of its own and it's so much fun. And and, and speaking of taking on life of its own, how about like the the T-Rex races? And then last year we had a grandfather's race that was on virtually every media outlet. Oh my gosh. Internationally, I, nationally. I think we've told the story on the podcast, but you know, we had a meeting last uh, January, yeah. February, and Phil goes, well, let's have a grandparents' day. And uh, and we all kind of looked at each other. Okay, well, how's that going to work? And and well, they get in for free. And he goes, well, you have to, they have to show anything? No, no, just let, they say they're a grandparent, let them in. Then about... Five minutes later, he goes, let's have a grandparents race. We're going to race them. We're going to race them. Now we're all kind of, what? They said, you can't do that. Somebody goes, uh, well, we give the kids an ice cream cone. Uh, What do we give the grandparents after the race? A nice pack? Yeah. Yeah, But anyway, it turned out so well. Uh, oh gosh, I, Monday morning at home before I, I think I was going to play golf, I'm getting all these texts and email. Hey, how do you get that video? Or is there audio yeah. of that? Or can I get that guy's name and number? Yeah, the guys that? that fell down. You know, Wes Petrie, I think he saw that there was a grand, I think the real grandparents day is like in September or something. I think Wes Petrie, our marketing director, saw that and said, hey, we should do this. And I said, okay. And then we said, well, we're going to race them, right? So that day, the funniest part of the story is we didn't know how many people were going to do this. They all come down to the winner's circle. And I'm like, okay, please. I'm almost begging them. Hey, guys, <laughs> girls, ladies, when you come out of that starting gate, take it easy. Wave <laughs> to your grandkids and your kids. Don't do anything silly. The gate opens and they came flying out of the gate. Yeah. And they started running really hard like they wanted to win. Too hard to cover a couple I, guys. So yeah. one guy... He goes down, and then another guy goes down on the outside. and <laughs> Who inherited were, the lead from the first guy, yeah. and then he goes down. Yeah, and they were both fine, and they got yeah. up and finished the race. And But the video of it went viral oh. and wound up on every nice. morning show and everything around the country, and it was so much fun. So we're going to – we'll do that again this year. I don't know that we want quite – the grandparents falling down all over the race. <laughs> yeah, we were forced up there. That, Nobody it, got hurt. I'll so. say this. Everybody that sees that chuckles when that first person goes down. Yeah, yes, you can't because help the it. dirt's soft out there. He, you could see right away he's not hurt. You know the way he went down, <laughs> but everybody we had a chuckles he out came, loud. He came back. We had him in the paddock. Yeah. The two guys that fell. Steve and Joe, Butler you, was the winner in yeah. the end, and a and member of our gate the, crew. That's right. He Les. went at less, and yeah. he went at re. It was a competition for yeah. him. Oh he yeah, was trying. He tried to get an edge by being on the outside with a tractor. Yeah. The bottom line of all this is that it brings people to the track. And it's fun. It brings know? people. We have yeah. uh, almost a half hour between every horse race. And yeah. now more than ever, the last 25 years, people are used to having, you know, quick action, fast 
things, media, and if you people know, prefer stimulus. that, we do have simulcast wagering here yeah. if you want to go but on and more it, action right these, away. And it's, these promotions bring people to the track. They do. And, and, and another one that really needs to be mentioned, I think this is the eighth straight year we'll have the Indian Relay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's a, a very great. serious competition. It yes. is. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool event. And it's a three-day thing in the Muckleshoot Gold Cup. And uh, it's a spectacle. Yeah, it, ESPN it, it just had a special on about Indian Relay. I think I saw it's that. called Sacred Cat or something yeah. like that. And it was just so well done. It explains the history of, of Relay. And it goes back um, hundreds of years. And the original, you know, my horse is faster than your horse kind of thing. And the Relay and the whole... The whole evolution of the sport and um, these guys, they're incredibly talented oh, as far as my jumping off Bareback? a horse onto another horse. And you can watch some of the replays that we have on our YouTube channel from past events. And it's 50000 in purses. It's a big deal. These are the best teams in the country that come here for our event. They call it the big show. And again, we have this sport, like you said, where we have a half hour in between races. And there's this philosophy, I believe in, that if you have nine races and there's eight in between races, it's almost like we have eight half times. Yeah. And you know you're going to bring, if you bring your kids out here and you're going to go get food at least one time during in between races and you'll go out to the paddock a couple of times and look at the horses and you'll take the kids back later in the day for ice cream in between a race. And then if you give them... Indian Relay or Corgi Racing or something else a couple of times during the day, they walk out of here four and a half hours later thinking, wow, it's an action-packed day. And the horse racing part of it is extremely important, and that's the highlight of it, but that's only 12 to 15 minutes of it. So you have to yeah. fill in the rest of the time and keep people engaged and active and hey. looking at the horses, petting our pony horses, doing all that stuff. It's an incredible experience, taking pictures and just having fun. Yeah, and then pony rides for the kids we've done a great job with the yeah. family family days as well out in the and park we're fortunate that we tend to run you know the weather's good yeah went for all these events too so it's a great uh, outing for everyone involved we had such great weather last yeah. year and you know track was fast every day except for one we didn't Remarkable. have that super hot streak either that you know we've had a couple times here in recent years but people think it rains here all the time for folks yeah. listening to the podcast outside this area no, in the summertime from about, um, what, mid and May, June, maybe June, I would yeah, say. Yeah, June. June, you know, June through about the early in, September. It's, good. it's like good the faucet go. turns off, the rain stops, and then yeah. it's sunny and long days and warm every day. It's nice. So a few more days this year, uh, 55. We're going to add a couple Fridays later in the season. Um, back to Saturday afternoons, we said, uh, and the promotion schedule. Uh, Facebook is a great promotional tool for us, and I think the promotions have been out on Facebook for a couple weeks. And yeah, we made one change. The Corgi okay. races are being moved up one week from what we originally said, so we'll get the updated schedule out. And yeah, you know, for our social media and Vince just does this incredible job of... Um, during our racing season documenting and even in the off season updates some stuff. Oh yeah. If you go to news and notes on our website, it's the most comprehensive coverage of horse racing that any racetrack has in this country. And Joe, you keep stats that nobody else keeps because let me tell you something folks, if you had, if you saw Joe's desk, you would understand this, right? We have to show a picture of it one day, but um, the 
your stats that you keep are unlike what Equibase or anybody else does. You keep stats the old-fashioned way. You have a piece of paper and you write stuff down and you go through your research and there it is right in front of us here. And the stats that you keep are stats that other tracks just don't have. So when certain trainers or jockeys get to a milestone, you know, maybe it's a 200th win here at Emerald Downs, right? As opposed to all the tracks and things like that. You have all of that data. And then we have other folks here that do a great job as well. So there's so much information. Yeah. And then all the features that are done on our YouTube channel that Cy and Wes and all these oh, TV man. guys have put the together. Retired the racehorses like Joe was talking about, all that stuff. We're going to do those again this year. But yeah, I work close with Vince on all these milestones and and statistical uh upcoming uh over the top stats and well, obscure stats and uh but yeah, you know they're they're usually fairly interesting well, what's, to what's, some. yeah they are yeah <laughs> what's really cool is we'll go into a 55 day season and there's going to be some horses that are going to emerge and we don't even know their name right now yeah or they haven't run in that great in the past and they're going to be stars this year and uh, we're happy to celebrate that the achievement and uh, there's going to be a jockey champ. We'll have a guy going for his fifth straight title, assuming Alex Cruz comes back up here. I mean, we got some great storylines that uh, are just fun to watch develop and play out during the course of the summer. Yeah, speaking of jockeys, Carlos Montalvo, one of the new riders, tied Jose Zanino for most stakes wins last year. Those were two totally new names at the top of the stakes winning list. And yeah. of course, Tom Wenzel, trainer, had a little something to do with that. But uh, the Muckleshoot Tribe, uh, which of course owns and operates Emerald Downs, they're stepping up their commitment a little bit this year too. You've yeah, said. they always so, give money for purses yeah, over since a million dollars. Yeah, and it's- Long and, time. And uh, we couldn't do it without them. They own and operate the racetrack and much thanks to all that they contribute and um, a little bit extra in purses this year that they're kicking in to um, you know, keep our levels at what they have been at and maybe even adding a few bucks here and there in some of the categories. So I think our, and the three extra days, of course, um, adding those three Fridays at the end, we saw last year how our horse population was pretty good towards the end of the meet. Usually it kind of tails off a little bit. So we added those Fridays back in this year so that the horsemen have another couple of days of opportunity to run in Perfect. those last few weekends. Um, very exciting. I mean, going into this year, I think we're all about as optimistic and as excited as uh, any year in the recent past. And you know, our stake schedule uh, is compares so well to anybody else on the West Coast. I haven't seen Turf Paradises this year, and they they uh, they're going to start before the end of the month, I believe, with their live racing. I'm not sure on that. Yeah, but, I think it's Jan well, but, January but, 28th. I you want know, to say right Northern California there, yeah. has cut theirs down yeah. uh, in the past, even more so now. Santa yep. Anita has made some cuts. But uh, we have a really fine stake schedule as well, Phil, and, and we make a big deal out of our stakes We races. do. And again, for the folks that come out here or even watch on TV, we kid around about it because, yeah. you, you know, you, again, I don't want to put any other tracks down or say anything bad about other tracks, but I watch these other tracks and I see they run these stakes races and there's four or five people in the winter circle sometimes and grade three, grade two races. And maybe they have an interview with the trainer off to the side. Joe talks to everybody in the winter circle. You know, it's a big celebration. Yeah. It's a party down there. There's 35, 40 people sometimes. And 
Joe tries to talk to all of them and get their reaction. To and it's great race. because it's, great. It's, it's darn hard to win a stakes race with a horse. No, and, and it should be celebrated. We yeah. still have honorary stewards that hand over trophies and trophy presenters from the local towns and cities and mayors yes. and different dignitaries that do it. And Joe always talks to them. And it is, you, you watch it and you just, it's just exciting. Sometimes to when be I get done and I yeah. come back and Phil's there underneath the, the covering. Uh, he goes, oh, I didn't think you were going to talk to that last person. You know, no, well, I drew it out a little bit too long. <laughs> no, the funniest one last year was when you talked to, I, I forget who it was. You, I kind of said to Joe oh, before you went I, out there. My, my Spanish wasn't yeah, yes. as good I, as it could have been. I go out there. Before Joe talks, it was a jockey. I think he was yeah. in town just for the day. And I said, Joe, I, said, I don't <laughs> think he really speaks English, right? And Joe goes out there and asks him a question that went on for like 20 seconds. And the guy looked at me and goes, yeah. Was <laughs> that the quarter horse race? Maybe? I think so. Yeah. It might have been. It might have been. And then Joe yeah. asked the second question. Yeah. I think you didn't need to. Yeah, you were pressing follow. your luck. <laughs> yeah. The guy, he was smiling. So we're going to make sure this year, we're going to make sure that in those circumstances, we have somebody to, um, to, um, the translation. yes, absolutely. See. Yes. Well, now nah, it's, uh, it's really a heck of a live meet. Um, Again, people that are new to Emerald Downs, uh, horsemen, you know, we had Justin Evans last year and uh, the, he was just a fantastic addition. Jeff Metz is going to be on a little bit later. He was a great addition about 10 years ago, but Evans brought those horses up and ran them and won the meet and him and his family couldn't say enough good things about us. And he's been around a little bit. Uh, yeah, his kids loved it here. They yeah. were out here every day. <laughs> yes. And they were playing. We got these like little crane machines inside the grandstand. It's costing them money, right? Animal. <laughs> well, yeah, it cost them a lot of money. I think they won so many of those stuffed animals that Justin told his kids, no, you have to give these away now because we have no more room for them. Uh, they had a good time. And we get so many kids that come out here on some of these nice... Sunday afternoons when we're doing these promotions, we and one of our best promotions is our kids race. Yep. Right. We had over 200 kids running in a race last year. Now we did. Now sometimes we make mistakes. I got to tell this story because we made oh, a yeah. pretty bad mistake last year. Okay? I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yep. So we had a kids race and we put them in the gate and then they all come through the gate. They all get to run through the gate and then they get to all run down. It's not that far. They get to run to the finish line and then we take them in the winner's circle and we give them ice cream. Right. And the kids could be anywhere from two or three years old running with or walking with their parents to, I think we say 14 or 15 or something like that. We let them go out there and have a good time. Well, we didn't have enough. I think we had one person at the finish line when we should have had four or five. Well, the kids all got to the finish line. They don't know what the finish line is. <laughs> they kept going. Yeah. So we look up from the starting and i'm like those kids aren't stopping right and they keep going west petrie marketing guy his kid is one of them and they just keep going and his wife says where's sydney and he goes i don't know which is not the right answer right so these kids they made it all the way out to about the six furlong the outrider had to pull them the up, outrider right? had to go out there and turn delayed, the kids delayed around. the next race a couple yeah, minutes a couple of minutes yeah and the you kids what, all though? got back they had fun they kept they would have gone all the way around yeah. they were not going to stop at least they were kids we wouldn't want the grandparents to no, do that. that's no that's right to I run think, into the i don't think they would have had some issues far, no. yeah but uh yeah uh you the next that. time we did it we had six yeah. people we overcompensated yeah it's a really good kids really good well-organized team out there uh the way we do so many things between races and um, 
I don't know. You going to spring anything new on us this year out there between races? What are we doing? You know, we have a couple of new events. We didn't events. talk about the T-Rexes, which of course dominated oh, the, T- the oh, world the media. The T-Rexes, I know. The T-Rex World Championship and that got a lot of attention and you know what? Just we got so much fun. 55 days and we pretty much have 55 promotions. Yeah, we're yeah. adding an ice cream festival this year, yeah. a weekend okay. of um how celebrating many, ice cream, different flavors. How many different, different cultural vendors. celebrations do we have? We have Irish, uh, British, mm-hmm. Italian, yeah. with Premio Esmeralda. Premio Esmeralda is our biggest, yeah. one of our biggest events of the year. The Dancing Horses and uh, lots of vendors and great food. It's the weekend I look forward to the most for eating some food out in the park. And um, it's great because we celebrate Hispanics and they make a significant contribution uh, to our sport. Yeah. And then some. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And very, always one of the best weekends of the year and always great weather. And it's to be at the end of July this year. And Phil is uh, always open to speak with anybody, whether it's uh, our Facebook page or his office. Uh, He is really good at... uh, The door is literally open. Yeah. And I I know of a couple uh, instances where things started kind of confrontational, but now Phil (laughs) talks to people on kind of a very friendly basis. Controversy? Really confrontational here? No, it doesn't happen. Hey, we have, I want to say this because we have the best team. Our folks here, and we have a lot of folks that uh, Vicky Potter, particular, like during our dog race days, it takes a lot of folks. You know, Gary Doherty runs our promotions. He's running all over the place. And uh, it takes so many people to get these things to go. And Vince helps out. And um, just everybody kind of just pitches in on those days. Dean Mazuka, who doesn't even work for us, yeah. is working for us a lot on these big days and the kids' races and stuff. But Vicky brings her family in. They all come out and they help check in. And people, our IT director, Steve Dunham, helps out. It, just everybody, the teamwork yeah. here to make these days, because it takes a lot to take care of eight, ten thousand 10,000 people that are showing up here and you're putting on these promotions. You got to stick to a time schedule because you got the races going on. So it, um, it takes every single person here to make this work. And we have a great team at Emerald Downs. And for the folks out there that live in the area, if you're looking for some part-time work during the summer, this is a great place to work. So keep an eye on our webpage for job availabilities and different opportunities. And of course, we will have the fireworks spectacular on Wednesday, July 3rd. July 3rd. Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be uh midweek, midweek. racing day. Yeah. yeah. That's always fun. Every year we try to say it's going to be the best show ever, right? And every year it's the best you show know what? ever. I've got a fireworks nerd in my family, my sister, and she sees a lot of shows and she just raves about it, how great it is yeah. at Emerald Downs. And she tells her friends that. And every year they bring out a bigger group here and they're all amazed. Right. It's a and great time. Bob Frazier is in charge of operations here. Every year he's talking to the fireworks company and I say, Bob, whatever you do, you got to tell them we need, even if it's just 20 <laughs> more shells or whatever, it's so got to be, say it's, it's got to be bigger than last year. It's got to oh, be. They do a heck of a job. That yeah, company. It's right wow. on top of you. You know, yeah. that's what's so good. It's an intimate setting and that stuff is right there and just, yeah, beautiful night. And we're going to have tickets on sale here soon coming up for all these individual days. But right now, if you want to buy the best deal we have, you can buy a season pass right now. For we have 55 race days and the season pass is $55. That's, That's a dollar a day. That's right. Fantastic. Can't beat it. There's no other sport <laughs> that has anything even close to that. You can get that online at emeralddowns.com. Purchase your season pass. That is a, just a fantastic deal. 
uh, walk-up admission is $10. Uh, and of course, Emerald Rewards players get in for less, which is free to sign up for as well. But uh, uh, 55 for 55 days. Yeah, take advantage of that. That is, uh, I hadn't mentioned that in the in the first segment. So thanks for doing that, Phil. We needed to get that in. But uh, hey, just around the corner, uh, uh, February 23rd, horses moving in and training starts in about six weeks. So. Yeah. And it's fun to work with, you know, again, with you guys and all that you do, um, this podcast and all the media and uh, the connections you have with the media and the attention and watching Joe do uh, Handicapper's Corner. Now, by the way, I'm going to tease this. Okay? Okay, okay. Can I just tease this? I'm not going to announce it or say it because it's 99% done. That's gonna pretty wait, good. I'm going to wait until it's 100% done, right? But Joe's going to have somebody else. Bill Downs is at Golden Gate and mm -hmm. he's not going to be our track announcer this year. So we have somebody else that will be here doing Handicapper's Corner with Joe on opening day. And it might be somebody that's uh, been here before. Hmm. hmm. That knows his way around here. That narrows it down quite a bit because we haven't had a whole lot of track announcers no. here over the no. years. No, and it's not Robert Geller and it's not Matt Dinnerman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that narrows it down. Okay, we'll, we'll work on that. That's for somebody who really knows the history. Emerald Downs now knows who we'll, it is. We'll work on that during the next Did I cover? That's, yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. I think I can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay. Well, thanks for stopping in, Phil. And uh, just, yeah, uh, give you some kudos for uh, getting a lot of people to the track, making it a, just a outstanding atmosphere. And I was giving um, you a hard time because I said, I don't know that I've ever been on this podcast, but I do remember. No, you have. Yes, I do remember we talked about the He thought twice, once, but I it's thought been once twice. It's been twice. Has this, it been twice? This is but three? It, but it hasn't been. This is like three years, I believe. Yeah, we started the in 2020. Okay. The COVID year, we started yes. the podcast. So All right. Yeah. We were talking crack and hockey at least one time on a podcast. So it had to be since the, okay. they started. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's true. Because this is only their, what, third, third year? Season, third yeah. season, yeah. 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 But it's been a while. I like doing this. This is fun. Okay. Well, well, yeah. we'll a lot have of it good... again for sure. And this is kind of the same discussion that goes on in our office every day. Yeah. This sure is, is it, folks. Yeah. It is. This is what we do. That is right? exactly right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very much the discussion. It's a little insight, right? Yeah. And there's always optimism this time of year because it is a new year and we've got it racing around the corner. Not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Okay. Thanks again, Phil. And we'll be back with our final segment here on Horse Racing Northwest. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Muckleshoot. They come off the turn and it's Cabrage in front. Cabrage leads by two from Prime Engine. Nusito calls it today. He's backing out of it. And Cabrage keeps going strong. Cabrage coming to the 16th pole leads by two. Prime Engine is second and then better be gone. But Cabrage with a huge win here. Cabrage gives Juan Gutierrez four wins on the day, and they win by two. That was a track and Washington State record on April 23rd, 2016. Cabrage 
106 and four-fifths, lowering the state standard, which was held by a couple pretty good horses, Vince. Uh, Noosa Beach and Attaboy Roy both went 107 flat. Of course, Gray Papa had the 107-1 as a North American record set at Long Acres. That lasted 17 years, but Cabrage was better. And he was in the barn of Jeff Metz, our guest here on Horse Racing Northwest. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, guys. How are you today? Good, Jeff. Very good. Very good. Yeah, Cabrage, uh, I think we did a retired racehorse story on him. That was a lot of fun. He's doing really good still. Um, I think you claimed him out of his career debut, didn't you? Yeah, first time out, we claimed him. from Howard Belvoir, and yeah, you guys did a really nice piece this summer or last summer about him, and uh, he still lives in my backyard, and he's enjoying life, and he's happy as a clam. Yeah, he was kicking up his heels. Uh, what a what a fast horse, and a fantastic career he had as well. A multiple stakes winner, really fast sprinter, just one of Jeff Metz's many highlights here at Emerald Downs, Vince, and he, he came in uh, running. He came in with the with ready to go back, uh, what it was at 2013. Yeah, that's right. He Jeff won uh, first training title here, his first year here in 2013, then uh, two more in a row, 2014, 2015. So he won training titles his first three years here, and then uh, added another one in 2018. Along the way, you know, you mentioned Cabrage. He's had a bunch of stakes winners. Of course, he had Easy Kitty, mm-hmm. who was a uh, Washington. Worst of the year back in, I believe, 2013. There she is. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yep. yeah, the first season there, that was a lot of fun. She, yeah. She dueled with some nice mares and then she was, uh, you know, Washington Horse of the Year, which is sometimes difficult for a female horse. You bet. And you won almost 19% here over the years, Jeff. And, uh, you're not going to be here next year. Uh, Jeff won't be here next year, Joe. He's got himself a new job. We're going to miss him, but uh, Jeff, uh, tell us about what's going on with you right now. Yeah, so you guys, uh, you've seen some of the headlines in racing. Um, Turf Paradise wasn't racing after Emerald Downs ended. Golden Gate is going to be closing soon. And some of these things kind of really made me a little nervous about the complexion of racing, especially at the lower levels where we, we had horses in Arizona as well as Washington. So I would say out of the blue, a position came up, stable superintendent for Santa Anita Racetrack, um, and it came up quickly. Uh, I had to kind of make a decision quickly, and I took on the position. Stable superintendent at the Great Race Place. And, of course, you've raced there so much over the years. You're very well familiar uh, with everything in Southern California and Santa Anita. And so... um, you know, probably not too big of a learning curve to get right going in your job, huh? That's correct. You know, the Breeders' Cup was about 30, about 30 to 45 days away Mm. when I took on the position. So that was a pretty big task to jump right in and have horses from all over the world come in. I had to learn quickly about a quarantine barn. Um, I got uh, a lot of people in uh, coming from back east, New York, Kentucky, I got to deal with uh, people coming in on the plains, whether it be international or New York and Kentucky. Uh, there was a lot of logistics. But like you said, Joe, I've been around Santa Anita. I started here when I was 21. I just turned 57. 
So I've been in San Anita a long time. Yeah. I know the ins and outs. I didn't. I I know all the people and all the players and all the personalities. So I think that really helped um, coming into this position. Yeah, and you got to deal with a lot of personalities. You know, we've been around Emerald Downs in the stable area, not not like a trainer or an assistant trainer, but uh, you know, things don't work right all the time, and um, there are requests. Can I have this? This guy's got this. So you you get those kind of uh, issues every day, huh? Yes, I would say I kind of liken it to uh, an apartment uh, supervisor that half the time you're working on broken broken pipes, uh, things aren't working, broken boards, the horse kicked this, he knocked yeah. on this. So 80% is uh, getting things fixed and coordinating the, the plumbers, the electricians, the carpenters, et cetera. And 20% is I need more stalls. Where can I get more stalls? And hey, I'm coming in and and then we do get a lot of people shipping in for stakes races, so that's nice. Um, and talking about the Breeders' Cup, I was able to meet Bill Mott, Brad Cox, Chad Brown, yeah. and it was Todd Fletcher. It was it was very exciting time because not only um, do these people do what we all enjoy at the highest level, but for the first couple of days after getting them situated, it was, uh, hi, Jeff. Good morning, Jeff. I was <laughs> like, they would have never said hi before, but you know, it was, it was exciting. And, you know, I love thoroughbred racing anyway. So I was able to come into it from a different position and, and use my background. Um, I know what trainers need. I try to help them as much as possible. And I try to help the, the big picture of Santa Anita racing, you know, new people coming to town. I want them to feel welcomed and accommodated. And I want to do my best to, to showcase Santa Anita uh, the, the best way possible yeah jeff you got uh, a couple questions how, how many stalls does santa anita currently have and and how many stalls are available in uh, southern california right now i know you got los alamitos also and perhaps san luis ray downs and uh is it difficult for horsemen to get those so right now there's about 1540 horses on the grounds there's probably stable capacity for about 2,000 horses at santa anita there are also some trainers that have horses at Los Alamitos as well as San Luis Ray Downs. And there is a few guys with Golden Gate going to be closing very soon. And June is kind of the target. But we have a couple guys that are going to come down in the end of January and get situated and get settled in. And then we have more that are going to come in a month or two. So is it difficult? It's just kind of like a puzzle piece that we have to put together and, um, there's stalls but you just have to kind of be creative sometimes yeah yeah lots of juggling going on but uh boy i didn't realize the stable area was that big over two thousand stalls huh yeah and right now the training track is about a one to two weeks away from being finished they're putting in a tapita surface on the training track and so hopefully that'll help the transition with some of the trainers coming from golden gate their horses can go on a surface that they're used to but it'll also really benefit Santa Anita trainers whenever there's rain or bad weather, because with the all-weather track right now, well, when the all-weather track's in, they can continue to train. Yeah. But right now, to save and protect the track for racing, it has to be closed and sealed, and they can't train on it. So I think this is really going to be a, a big advantage when the wet weather comes our way. Yeah, Boy, I'm yep. sorry. Uh, Jeff, yeah, you do get some weather in uh, Southern California this time of year, January, February, March. You can get a bit of rain. And 
I think you, you mentioned you've had to close the track down previously and maybe just joggers only situation. Now with this new uh, all weather surface, you won't have any days where the track is completely closed. That's correct. And, uh, you know, guys that race on the turf a lot, they like to work on the training track. The turns are a little tighter. They really like that sand based track that was on the training track. And I think you're going to see that again with the tapita surface that's going on there. I think, a lot of people are of the consensus that turf horses like the PETA and vice versa. So I think they're going to train some of their turf horses out there as well as maybe work their horses out there. Yeah, training tracks right there in the infield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's correct. In- inside the turf course, yeah. Santa Anita, the great race place. Uh, boy, uh, just uh, the history with the beauty of that facility. Boy, the first time you go there, you sh- sure makes a fantastic impression on you. And Jeff Metz is working there. But Jeff had a, had a heck of a lot of milestones and great memories as a thoroughbred trainer. And I, I know several of them were made at Emerald Downs. You mentioned Easy Kitty and, of course, Cabrage. But, uh, Jeff, you were really good at, at developing young horses. You did well with two-year-olds up here. And uh, also, when you were winning those titles, you must have been on the phone a lot because Vince, he was bringing in horses uh, mm-hmm. with maybe some somewhat sketchy form from the Bay Area, but you know, he'd, he'd made the phone call and I guess he heard from the other trainer what he wanted to hear that, uh, you know, yeah, this horse, I might be able to win. And then, then you'd run a lot of them back in eight to 10 days and win again. But uh, you, you were good at that, Jeff. Um, getting new horses in your barn and really recognizing uh, their ability level right away. Yeah, I think, you know, it it was a great 10-year run. It was 10 seasons that I was there at Emerald Downs. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it was, like you said, um, two-year-olds claiming horses as well as the stakes categories. You know, uh, I feel very happy about what I was able to accomplish there. Uh, all the, the people that worked for me and helped me, they were a great asset as well. And so a lot of times, horses at Santa Anita or Golden Gate, I really felt the, you know, maybe the tighter dirt track coming off Golden Gate or definitely the class relief from Santa Anita to, to Emerald Down. It just allowed us to, to win. And uh, I think class relief is the biggest the biggest asset and you know i always try to make the horses happy and healthy and find what they like whether it be um, equipment change or distance or a particular jockey but those type of things or try and change their running style just whatever made them happy comfortable and then put them in the best spot where they could be the favorite or close to that Uh, i think that's what really helped us and you know coming from santa anita knowing friends in golden gate that really helped too because I knew who to buy off of, who to stay away yeah. from. Um, and just the networking I've made over the 40-year career as a trainer, I think uh, really helped me in uh, the success we had at Emerald Downs. Yeah, Jeff, and you, it'll be a, it'll be a, too bad not having you up here. Uh, you've really supported our program, but it's great that you do have a situation uh, at Santa Anita. But uh, I understand Scott Tubbs, your longtime assistant, up here at Emerald is uh, is going to be here. Yeah, so right now um, he's at Turf Paradise, so he's got uh, some of the horses for some of the clients that I had, and uh, he's going to run horses there at Turf Paradise, and then 
off to Turf Paradise. He's going to venture up to Emerald Downs and have some horses for some clients that I had, as well as uh, a former or next year Emerald Racing Club horses. That is correct, yeah. And uh, I like Scott a lot. Um, he's a good horseman and uh, a good guy. And uh, he'll have some big shoes to fill, though, uh, trying to uh, take over for Jeff Metz. Jeff? You know, it, uh, it, it was a situation where, um, you know, if he, if he wanted to do it, I want to help him as much as possible. And if he didn't, I would understand. But at the same time, he knows the complexion of Arizona and, and Washington, so I think he'll do just fine. Um, I scouted a lot of horses as well as we talked every day on the training, and then I would travel back and forth. And that's one of the things that's really uh, – I've been home the last three months, and I haven't been on a plane or uh, – <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of different. It's definitely different. So uh, closing weekend at Emerald Downs, uh, I have not been on a plane since then. Wow. That's something. And, you know, Jeff also uh, set tied the record of 66 wins in a given season. Uh, one of his uh, uh, championship trainer seasons. So a tremendous year that was. And, and just bringing a lot of new horses to Emerald Downs. And, uh, yeah, it just uh, was a heck of a run. Yeah, the, you know, uh, we had a, a six-win day one time. We had... The, the Cabrage oh, track the, record, which is a state record. The first day of the uh, meet, had, yeah, you won five. You yeah. tied. You tied the state yeah. record. Yeah, yeah. The, 20, there you go. 2015. And, and, I was like, and they asked me which one did I like best, and I told them the other horse we had running. So <laughs> we did run second, but you know, never ask the trainer. They always tell you the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, you also won on our twentieth uh, anniversary day with that uh, filly at the time, BCZ Middleton. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah, that was, was one of the very, very few horses, three-year-olds, to beat older horses in a stake in Emerald Downs history. There's only, like, I believe three. And BCZ Middleton won the – she won the Washington State Legislator Stakes on June 20th, uh, 2016. Right before the thunderstorm came. That's right. And knocked out the <laughs> yeah. last race. Yeah, that was a – Had to cancel the last race. That's and right. The, and the owners of Easy Kitty also had a real nice horse called Citizen Kitty that we did well with. It was actually one of my highest earners, and like you said... Won the distaff here. We we bought her and started her from her first race to her last race. And like you said, that was a case where BZZ Middleton kept running second to her, and he's <laughs> like, when am I not going to have to run against that horse? So that was nice. Yeah. No, she had a really fine career. You, you had her as a two-year-old and, and raced her for many years. She had some big, big days here at Emerald Downs, including that upset win on our uh, 20th thing. Yeah, the last race. In the distaff, the... yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, Jeff. Really, uh, really uh, real nice. Yeah, you've got a, a little more stable situation, uh, the life Literally. of a trainer. <laughs> hey. <laughs> that, Joe made a good yeah. pun there. Hey, gosh, dang. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I've always thought Joe is funny. I'm rolling. More than people know. <laughs> I'm rolling this year, and I didn't even know it. But uh, <laughs> anyway. No, but I, I know. I know I'm going to be watching you guys on TV. Vince and I have already talked. We're going to stay in touch for sure on uh, uh, if I hear something and I can pass it on to Scott or the, the racing club. Great. Um, I, I definitely have ties to Washington, um, friends that I made there that I'll stay in contact with. And, 
I hope if I'm lucky enough, one day I could be in the Washington Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Well, a four-time training champion is certainly going to be looked at for that. I'm I'm sure of that, Jeff. And uh, thanks so much for, uh, you know, being part of our race season. And again, when we got you in 2013, uh, bringing your stable up here, that was just a huge uh uh, positive move for us uh, you know uh, every track needs a new barn somebody that comes in with significant amount and runs them and and jeff did that yeah and what and what one last thing i'll leave you with is you know we, we brought horses there and a lot of them would they were in very good spots so they got claimed and they ran there for a season or two sure so i i brought a nice influx of horses and then I hope that because I came and told people how nice the facility was and the racing was and the people that it brought other trainers from Arizona too. And Absolutely, then, yeah. you know, now there's more than there was. So I hope I had a lasting effect on Washington. Um, the horses I had are still running there. You know, the uh, recommendations I gave the trainers to come there, they'll, they won't believe how clean the facility is and how nice the people are. And so I hope that I have a lasting effect on emerald downs and washington horse race no question about it yeah certainly did jeff was always fantastic to approach with any information on his horses or to talk racing on mike and uh, using it for our stories so happy new year to you jeff uh you know great success in thank your new you job and thanks. thanks very much i i appreciate chatting with you and i hope we do it again very you good bet. thanks jeff Jeff Metz Thank joining you. us on Horse Racing Northwest. Uh, yeah, he had a really good run at this track, and um, so many of our horsemen will, will be uh, talking to him in a little different capacity down at when they see him at Santa Anita. So, uh, and you, no, you didn't go to the Breeders' Cup this year. So. Did not, no. But uh, we'll be we'll be running into Jeff from time to time. That was great to have him on. A big part of our history again. Four training titles is uh, is uh, a strong feat in our track's history. Okay, time for um, some sports shorts today. And you know, Vince and I have been talking about this regarding football for quite a few years on how many coaches really blow the two-point conversion situation. When to go for two? Why do, Why are we going now? What's the score? Uh, you know, and Vince mentioned uh, probably about three years ago, you know, somebody should start a consultant business and have these teams uh, talk to the consultant, have him ready uh, in the- Every in the, situation. In the second half to be on top of when to go for two because it's still happening all the time. I'm going to give you two examples. Saturday, November 11th, Oregon was beating USC pretty soundly. USC scored, uh, I think it was around four minutes to go, to pull within nine at 36 to 27. They went for two. Bad move. I agree 100%. When you're down nine, that's way different than seven or eight. Sure, seven's better than eight. But nine is worlds different when you're getting late in the game. You're going for an onside kick and, you know, the players out there, well, even if we get it, you know. I mean, anyway, you don't, you don't go for two when you pull within nine. Oregon, and 
right or wrong, you don't do it. USC missed the two-point conversion. They lost 36-27. Same day, earlier, and there was a lot of talk online about this one, Penn State playing mighty Michigan, pulled to within 24-15 with over a minute and a half to go or so. They pulled to within nine. And let's name these coaches. Uh, James Franklin for Penn State. And uh, what's uh, USC's coach's name? The guy from Oklahoma. Anyway. Yeah, I just remember Caleb Williams at yeah. the helm. Well, Penn State went for two down nine with a minute and a half to go. Yeah, you know, They it, missed it. They it, lose by nine. I mean, it, it, a chance for making a one-possession game yeah, where again. you're even going to be lucky to get the ball back once. Of course. You know, is uh, makes it uh, you just got to yeah. do it. Yeah, let's go out and recover two onside kicks. You know, it's a big deal. We need two, we need two onside kick recoveries. Okay, well, Vince has got that consultancy business on hold for right now, but... Uh, also wanted I, to go for it on various fourth down plays and all kinds of stuff where, you know, they use these I, terms analytics, but a lot of times that it doesn't... No. Their logic is illogical. And it's so. not just college coaches either. Pro coaches make that mistake as well once in a while. Um, and uh, back in around September when the season started... Um, Vince took the Seahawks to win over eight and a half games. You were right on that. I just listened to that on a podcast. And in the previous week, I took uh, New Orleans to win under nine and a half. They won nine. So we gave out a couple of winners there on football. Yeah, that's good. And uh, Seattle got theirs on the final two-point conversion in yeah. this field. But they got it. So, uh, But I'll, that'll be part of my sports short here in a minute. So, yeah, uh, sports shorts... Um, Two-point conversion business. Uh, coaches, you need to do better on those. And uh, Vince, your turn. I think we'll be beating that drum again more oh. next year, or maybe even more this year in the playoffs. So it, it'll probably cost some team a playoff game <laughs> before we're done. Wouldn't surprise us. Okay, I got a couple. Uh, first one, this is a really obscure. You know I like my obscure NBA stats. Boy. Um, who was the final? Remember the Sonics actually, they were in the kingdom for a while. Mm-hmm. And they led the league in attendance for a few years. Um, who was the final Sonic to make a basket in the kingdom? Oh, boy. Uh, so that would have been around 1984 or 3? 85. 85. Uh, so it wouldn't have been somebody obvious like Jack Sigma. Um, you know, this guy has the same initials I just noticed. As Jack Sigma? Yeah, I don't know much about him. I don't know. But I read an article on this. Okay. The final Sonic to make a basket in the kingdom, they they lost the game to Dallas, 125 to 110, before a le- record low, 56-72 in the kingdom. Uh, the Sonics, by the way, lost 12 of their final 13 games that season, including defeats of 25, 15, 25, 26, 25, 15, 44, 14, 15, and 23. Who was the coach that year? Lenny that was... Wilkins. Oh, wow. And then Bernie Bickerstaff came in. Yeah. Um, now, the guy's name was John Schweitz. I remember the name. A 6'3 guard from the University of Richmond. Actually went on to be a pretty good coach, I read, at the, hmm. at the lower level. Um, he was a sharpshooter, uh, had a cup of coffee, as they say, with the Sonics. I didn't even remember he played for him until I read this article. Anyhow, my main one is, okay, uh, my, this is mainly a, a, a B-I-T-C-H at a lot of Seahawks fans, okay? And uh, the, the, mainly these ones who jumped on the bandwagon in 2012 uh, complaining about mediocrity. And I keep reading that thing, mediocrity, mediocrity. 
They don't know what mediocrity truly is, Joe. I've followed some bad franchises, and the Seattle, Super, Seattle Seahawks of the last decade, maybe they blew some things and they, they had some heartbreak or whatever, but they were far from mediocre. Um, I don't claim to be an NFL expert. I've followed the league long enough to know how difficult it is to win. And since coming to the Seahawks in 29, only three other franchises out of 32 won more games than Pete Carroll. Just three, huh? And it's a zero-sum game, and I can only grade him against his counterparts. So yeah. he he gets an A. I mean, definitely. You know, and maybe you know, there's certainly a discussion to be had, you know, about his age, and you know, the defense isn't developing, and those those discussions all by. But this business that they were underachieving is is hokum, and you just said it. They went over again this year, and that that is that is. Uh, that's a that's, barometer. That's people putting up real money to wager on stuff. And they did it the last two years after with Geno Smith as quarterback. To me, that's some pretty good coaching there. Um, anyhow, it was a good run. And, uh, you know, I Pete Carroll came to town. I had some, like a lot of fans, I had kind of a negative impression on him, actually. You know, he had this stuff going on at SC and all that. And, you know, I thought his rah-rah stuff was, wasn't real or whatever. He won me over. He's a good man in the community. He's ruthless as a head coach, as you have to be, because you don't win, you, uh, you're you gone. Uh, but he was fair, and his players liked him. Maybe his message finally got old. That's quite possible or whatever. Uh, but anyway, you, you, I just hate people talking about underachievement, because anyway you grade it, he was a resounding success. And uh, I hate to say it, but these fans might find out what real mediocrity is. So anyhow, that's my soapbox thing there. Hey, now you, you've been uh, talking this issue for a while and, you, and you're correct. Carol, uh, you know, he is a hauler guy and a, and a, a back slapper and a, and a positive influence and a motivator. But as you said, when he first got here, boy, he, he went through so many players. He cut ex-USC guys. He was out to win and have the best players. And then you get good players on your team, and maybe you do become friends with them a little bit too. But and, his and, record speaks for itself. And then also, you know, players perform well. They earn contracts, and you got a salary cap, and that, that becomes a big headache. Contracts. And then once you start winning, the egos start taking over. You know, you see that? It, it's difficult. And they never had a real period where they fell off the table. Even New England this year went four and thirteen, and Belichick, you know, he crashed the, off the table. Crashed off. That never happened with Seattle. Yep. You know. So anyhow, it was a good run. It'd be interesting to see what happens in the future. Yep. Okay. Well, selections. Uh, we, we're not too uh, into that this particular podcast. Uh, I did have one on our last show, Magic Grant in the Springboard Mile at Remington Park, a, a pretty good two-year-old late season stakes race. Otto the Conqueror won it. I believe he was the favorite. He's now three for four lifetime. But uh, Magic Grant was my selection at 13 to one. He came roaring in really good for third. Closed a lot of ground in that last eighth mile. And he's training Stable at Oakland. <laughs> yeah. No, he's training at Oakland. I think uh, to me, it looks like he's getting pointed for the Southwest stakes on January 27th at a mile and a 16th. So uh, that was a fairly small field at... Uh, Remington, a big field with a faster pace would help him, but he looks like a runner. Uh, Magic Grant by uh, Good Magic. So that was uh, not a winner in selection time, but uh, something to keep track of. Okay, time for uh, trivia. because You didn't have a selection this week. 
I did not. Okay. I, I, I took a brief look at entries. I noticed Santa Anita. I think they got their big Cal Cup card on Saturday, so some good stakes races down there. And I will... I haven't looked at Golden Gate yet, but I will say there is a lot of our familiar horses down there running yeah. right now. So if you follow Emerald Downs, take check out Golden Gate. You'll see a lot of familiar faces. And Tim McKenna is on a real roll down there, by the way, a Washington yeah. Hall of Fame trainer. Now, you picked out a, a really strong first-time starter on December 26th, opening day at Golden Gate. Uh, I remember his name, duly noted. And, uh, and we both missed one last weekend that he went on at nine to one at uh, Cantharos oh, Colt, yeah. wasn't it? That yeah, uh, JB Books or something. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Felt bad for missing that, but Tim's doing great. He is. Uh, Tim McKenna uh, has a slight lead over Frank Lucarelli for all-time two-year-old wins here at Emerald Downs. There's one of our obscure statistics: one fifty-two to one fifty. So, that is a lot of maiden wins. Yeah, and those are just two-year-olds. Okay, trivia. Uh, the last couple of episodes, our question has been, what's the record high claim for a Washington-bred horse? And nobody got it after our uh, late November podcast, and so I re-upped re it for our December 11th podcast, or, or sometime in December there. And we did get a winner. Janice Train got... One of the winners. So, Janice, I do owe you a little prize, and I will get that out to you. She's picked Legendary Weave, um, and he is one of two horses that have been claimed for $100,000 as a Washington bred. Legendary Weave was claimed at Santa Anita in December, December 26th of 2003 for $100,000. Was Craig Lewis get claim him? Uh, you know, I don't know that. Uh, but I know Moger had him. I think. Yeah, Legendary like Weave was claimed for sixty-two-five. Um, the Lannings, yeah, the Lanning Curtain Lila Lanning owned him for a while. Ed Moger trained him. He was claimed for sixty-two thousand five hundred twice. Legendary Weave, but the other one is Pira's Gold, the son of Stolen Gold. Right. Both those horses ran at Emerald Downs in their careers. Legendary Weave came in as a hot two-year-old. I don't believe he won here. Uh, Pira's Gold did win a race as a three-year-old. And then, of course, he was involved in, he won the Bing Crosby, a grade one. I think it was the Crosby, wasn't it? Or was it the Pat O'Brien at Del Mar? It was one of them. I remember he beat a yeah. three to five shot called Bordenaro, and it yeah. was a long inquiry. They claimed that uh, the writer, I think it was John Court wrote Pira's Gold, that he got him with the whip inadvertently, but no, the results stand in. It was a big win for La Cunada Stables and Jack Caraba, Pira's Gold. Okay, so Legendary Weed, Pira's Gold, claimed for $100,000, Washington Breads. That's the high for Washington Bread, coming a little hot, claimed for 80000 in 1996. And Love All the Way was claimed for $62,500 three times uh, in between... Uh, 1999 and 2000. A couple other notes on on Washington claims. I would be a winner was claimed in nine straight races in 2000. Snipple Do was the most famous really in Washington. Still is the record claim in our state. He was claimed at Long Acres in April of 1990 by Robert Resoff. Sixty. Uh, $60,000. That's still a record. We've had a lot of $50,000 claims here at Emerald Downs, but Snipple do after he was claimed, and and I, I've got a note here, he was 0 for 8 going into that year in Long Acres or Exhibition Park stakes races. 0 for 8. So what did he do after he was claimed? Ran the table. 
Marion Smith trained, he won an allowance. He won an allowance. He won a handicap, which was the owner's. He won a stake. He won a stake, and he won a stake. And one of those, of course, was the Long Acres Mile. So he won six straight after being claimed. He set a state record for earnings at one meeting. And, uh, boy, the 60000 was well spent. Okay, uh, this week's uh, trivia question. Um, Washington Sires... In the Emerald Downs era, from 1996 to 2023, which sire has the most Washington-bred leading earners for a calendar year? So a Washington sire with the most uh, earnings uh, from his progeny. And, you know, there's uh, lots of sires to, to, to look at. You look at the leading earners for a year and pick us a sire that has the most Washington bread leading earners as I'm getting convoluted here as I keep talking. But uh, that's it. Thanks to Phil Ziegler and Jeff Metz for joining us on this edition of Horse Racing Northwest. And again, Emerald Downs open seven days a week for full card simulcasting and uh, a great place to be on the weekends in the winter of 2024. Thanks for listening. See you soon.